All right, for the rest of us, I'm so glad to see you. We are in part two, which happens to be the conclusion. It's just a two-part series that we are calling Centrifugal. And last week, we looked at a centripetal community, and this week, we look at a, with centrifugal force. And in a sense, the one-two creates that sentence of who we are. And so this is by way of review. We are a centripetal community with centrifugal force. If you missed part one, well, I have to apologize to you also for starting at this kind of usage of words, which we are typically not real familiar with. And then trying to make it really, really clear. So starting from the obscure to clear is typically not what you should do, but I'm doing it. And uh, I think that it was helpful to us last week. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to take a look at that. Um, not because I want you to know all the stuff that I said, uh, but it, it really makes you feel like I'm not pointing the finger at you today either. I'm really pointing my finger at me. So again, I want to just review a little bit uh, by way of helping us get started with these obscure words. Centripetal means moving, to, moving or tending to move towards center, and centrifugal means moving or tending to move from that center with an ever-widening power. So I want to begin with a story, and um, I want to read this story. But before I read this story, I want to ask this question to get our hearts kind of ready for this story. The question is this. How do you raise heaven-bound kids in a hell-bent world? How do you raise heaven-bound kids in a hell-bent world? Now, uh, the story I'm about to read actually comes from a, a book called Heaven-Bound Kids, which I have not read but I did find this story from the book. And what I'd like to propose, even before I read the story, is one of the most important features for raising heaven-bound kids is that they have to see it. They have to see it in you as parents to really believe it. Having said that, here's the story. One youth pastor writes, I just entered a convenience store with Jeff. Now, Jeff is in quotes, so this youth pastor is protecting the real guy with this name, Jeff. I just entered a convenience store with Jeff to pay for the gas I put in the church van. It was apparent that the woman behind the counter was, had been crying. I looked at her and said, has anybody let you know today that Jesus really loves you? Well, Jeff freaked out. He took off running and dived into the van. <laughs> As nobody else was in the store, I witnessed for the next few minutes to that woman, says the youth pastor, who was going through a very difficult time in her life. After she asked Christ to come into her heart, her whole countenance changed. When I got into the van, Jeff said, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> do, do what again, I asked. Witness to people like that, he replied. Do you see how embarrassed that lady got? I responded, Jeff, you got more embarrassed than she did. In fact, I prayed with her and she received Christ. 
I took Jeff back into the store to meet the woman who was now radiant with the love of God, a complete contradiction of what she had been just a few minutes before. Now, I share that story with you for multiple reasons because we have to see it to believe it. But I also share it with you as a sad story to me. And here's why it's sad. I'm more like Jeff than that youth pastor. And I'm more like Jeff than that youth pastor in that I typically resist doing that because in my head, I think it's more effective to build a relational bridge that's strong enough to bear that weight. But what if you don't have time to build that relational bridge? And this guy, this youth pastor, was able to build that bridge in a moment with love in his eyes and with compassion. And so I confess to you, there's been so many missed opportunities in my life because I have a thought that takes me off center. If I was truly on center, I could be more like Jesus, where it's not my thought that governs all my actions, but the Spirit prompted me, in this case, wait, build a bridge. In this case, speak, talk now. And only by being abiding in Christ and whole of my life being centered around the Lord Jesus Christ could I have that kind of sensitivity to live like Jesus where I only say what Jesus would have me say. Just like Jesus only said what the Father would have him to say. I would only do what the Father would have me to do. Just like Jesus only did what the Father would have him to do. We build these constructs. And according to the constructs, we enter into the fray of perhaps dysfunctional following of Jesus. And so I freely admit to you and confess to you that I need this message that I'm so very convinced that we all need. I invite you to listen in as I preach to me. <laughs> Here's the thing, it's so, so important that eternal destinies are going to be affected today. And not the eternal destinies of ourselves. There are countless other people that if we will get a hold of this message, that their eternal destinies will be transformed from being hell-bound to being heaven-bound because we got it, and we began to live like Jesus and respond in a way that's so not like Jeff in the moments that require us to not be like Jeff. And so I don't know how to say it any more effectively than that. This is an incredibly important message that I need to hear. So please, please, Listen in. One person that you reach that shifts that destination might reach thousands. Do you see how important this is? It's so important that we center ourselves on Jesus so that we can go out of this place with power. Now, 
Centripetal and centrifugal are not biblical words. I said this last week. I spent the whole time talking about biblical words, abiding in Christ so that we can abound. Um, so we're transitioning now to the abounding side of it. And I need to get my brains together here because that's not going to be from the top of my head. It's going to be from the Word of God. Point number one, Christ followers are outbound witnesses. Christ followers are outbound witnesses. Acts chapter one, verse eight, just to give you some context, after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he commissioned his followers with these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see here the ever-widening concentric circles? It's the ever-widening circles of centrifugal force moving out from the central event, the epicenter event of this powerful movement that changed the world, and still changing the world. And do you see that Jesus is the center of this movement? And do you see that Jesus is the one who commissions us to move? That it's not about getting it for our sakes alone. It's about getting it to the degree that we are centered in Jesus, abiding in him, hearing his words, knowing his words, being at home in his words so much that his words are at home in us and that we live like him because he's living in us through his spirit and the spirit is the power that moves us in a centrifugal force outward to change life after life after life. But it all begins where? And we read this and we read it all begins in Jerusalem. But that was them because that's where they were. Where does it begin? It begins from wherever you are as you follow Christ to where he wants you to be. So it always begins where you are. So wherever you are right now, this is where it begins. It begins with me. It begins with you. It begins here. We change the world from here in concentric circles. We affect thousands from little old Cottonwood. We are a part of a movement that is changing the world because Jesus has set the epicenter into a powerful overtaking move that we need to be a part of. And if we're not a part of it, we're missing out on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, so where do we start? <laughs> Point number two, start with a simple practice. Start with a simple practice. Psalm 34.1 reads, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. This simple centering practice will shift things inside of you. I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I didn't make this up. 
I'm not ashamed to admit that Adrian Rogers, who preached a lifetime, began to preach this practice, and I, I was convicted by a message from Adrian Rogers, and I, I said, I've got to do this. I've got to put praise on my lips every day. This is the center. And I've got to do this whether it's in good times or bad times because God is at the center and he's got this. And if I don't feel like he's got this, something's off center, something's off kilter, and I need to lead my life with my lips back to center. So on the screen is a quote. When you have made it your practice to lead your life back to the center with your lips, soon your lips will be leading others as well. I didn't hear Adrian Rogers say that. I began to practice and practice and practice and discover that all it takes is to start Praising, 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 worshiping, gratitude, centering, centering, centering. You can't help but talk about the shift inside and how great God is because it changes you. And it's gotten a hold of me, but I have a long ways to go. <laughs> and the more I realize I have a long ways to go and take steps. I think the more I'll realize I have, as I get more and more mature, it's gonna feel like I have longer to go than I thought. I'm so not like Jesus, but Jesus is with me. I'm centered in him. Because I am not pointing to me as the solution. I'm just a window that I want you to see right through. Jesus is the solution. He is the power. He was saying to his followers, wait for that power and center yourself in me and that power is going to flow through you. Talk about your weaknesses and that power flows through you. Talk about how you're struggling and the grace is meeting your needs and that power flows through you. Talk about how you're all messed up and God is making you cleaner. That power flows you. You can relate to every person you're talking to because they're just like you. They need Jesus just like you do. I need Jesus just like you do. So there's obviously a whole lot more I could say about this simple little practice. But let me just say this. If after hearing that, you don't start leading your life to the center with your lips, shame on you. You're going to be just like me for years and years and years where you study, study, study the word of God and you don't worship on your own in a regularity throughout your day in the good times and the bad times and centering on adoring the center of all in awe and worship. And if you're going to be just like me, you're going to go through times where it's like, he doesn't, he doesn't have this. He doesn't have my back. I, I, he can't handle this and then you're just going to be anxious and struggling and flailing and, and then praying out of desperation instead of out of confidence and glory. Oh, practice. Practice as soon as you leave this place. Worship him. Start with a simple practice. Point number three. You do that and you're going to experience compelling returns. 
For the rest of our session together, we're going to be in the letter of 2 Corinthians. So this is the second letter from Paul that we have in Scripture. He actually refers to some other letters we don't have in Scripture. But 2 Corinthians 5.14 is where we jump right into the middle of a long line of thought, where he starts a line of thought talking about death and what happens after death. And then he actually gets into verse 10 where he talks about uh, Christ's worldview and how he's so convinced that Christ's worldview is true that after death, those who are in Christ, they just leave their bodies and they go to be with Christ. And those who are not with Christ, they face judgment. We all face judgment, but we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, if we're with Christ. And that judgment doesn't touch us. We enter in with Christ and live forever with Christ. So it's judgment that compels him to then proclaim this good news because he has the worldview of Christ. But then we come to verse 14 and we discover that he's explained a worldview, but he doesn't just have the worldview of Jesus. He has this compelling love of Jesus. And so let's read that. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that One died for all, and therefore all died. He's going to keep arguing from that thought and explaining it a little bit more as he explodes that thought into this powerful epicenter of what changes everything. But let's just go piece by piece. Do you see how only the convinced are compelled? Take a look at that verse again on the screen. Only the convinced are compelled by Christ's love. So if Christ's love is not compelling you to talk about God and talk about Christ, something is causing you not to do that because you're not convinced. And what is it that's causing you not to be convinced? It could simply be a thought. And I've already talked about that a little bit. I could have a thought that clouds the way I look at, maybe God doesn't have my back. Maybe God can't handle this problem. Maybe it's all going to go south into this web of fears or this smoke of fears that I fear is going to take place. It's going to be horrible. And I I swirl around in anxiety instead of this God's got this confidence because he's always been faithful. And he'll walk with me right through the good, right through the bad, all the way to eternity. And it's all good. Well, A little thought can shift all of that away and it vaporizes into an anxious life, a fearful life. If you are wondering why I'm saying all this, I'm experienced at this. I know how it works. And I, whether you know it or not, that it's taking place or which thought took you off track, that's another matter. So frequently, a a thought comes in and takes me off track that I don't even know which thought is causing me to be in this low spot. And it takes a while to process, why am I not up through this? Why can't, I rejo- why can't I not rejoice as I'm instructed to rejoice in all things and rejoice always? And again, I say rejoice. Why is it that I'm having trouble here? There's a thought that has, become, that has come between Jesus and this compelling love. And it's basically like a, a hunk of wood between magnetic Jesus and me. And so the powerful centering draw of Jesus has got something blocking me. And so then I begin to drift away from center and I start orbiting into that thought or it can be an action. Any sin, 
is going to orbit you away as it comes between you and Jesus. You become less convinced that Jesus will bring you the joy that you're really after. You think this thing that has caused you to go this direction is what really is going to make you happy. And you just begin to orbit away from the center. So if you want a compelling love with amazing returns for your life, again, start simple. Start praising Jesus. Start looking at who he really is. Start abiding in him and in his words and see that he is like no other. And you'll begin to shift inside and be drawn back to center. There's only one fixation that actually fixes us and it is the center that we are made for. Make sure your fixation is Jesus. There is no other fixation that can fix you. Every sin makes you off-center. It takes you off-center and weakens your conviction and it weakens your love. You're less convinced and you're less compelled. You're silent about Jesus because there's sin in your life, whether it's by thought or by sinful actions. Repent, come back to center, worship. The grace of Jesus will bring you there. He'll fill in all of the void that you now just simply say is true. I messed up here, I'm wrong here, the way you look at it here is right. I need you. And the Savior just fills in with grace and pulls you out of the hole on top of the world. Honestly, this week, my roller coaster ride of emotions went from the very, very top to the very, very bottom to the deeper bottom than I've been in a long, long time. And it's the same kind of thing. I needed to go back to center and ask Jesus to lift me out of the hole. I didn't think I was going to be able to preach today. I was that deep. He lifted me up. He's so good. And if my voice starts to crack and I don't have a voice anymore, it's not because I'm emotional. It's because I'm a grandpa and I shouted too loud at the soccer game yesterday. <laughs> Let's move to 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, there's a word should in there, but I want you to hear the word should the right way. He's not saying you should, whether you feel like it or not kind of should. He's saying this is what you should expect, that he died for all, that those who live, that have been saved by Jesus and have the Spirit of God live inside of them, made alive spiritually when we were dead spiritually in an enmity with God, that we should expect that now we have this maturing taking place as we shift to the center, that we shift away from living for ourselves, that we shift towards living for the center. Do you see that there? This is talking about what you should expect and what you aim for. If you're not experiencing this naturally, you've got to get back to center and abide in Christ again so that you can experience this shift out of the self-centered life. So a quote on the screen is, abounding love comes from an abiding life. And you'll experience that 
as you come back to center and abide in Jesus and look at his words, and I'm finding a great joy, although my brain's not able to handle it like in my 20s, of memorizing Jesus' words and living in Jesus' words and allowing those words to live in me. I keep having to review those words, but I want to have the worldview of Jesus that creates the love that Jesus had inside of me. The only way I know how to get there is to keep coming to Jesus, keep coming to Jesus. And then, it doesn't stop there. We've got to move from this centering to centering around him as he takes us out of our comfort zones. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> right? Point number four, the best defense is a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. For those of you who have been with us for a little while, uh, you'll remember a series we did not too long ago called Four. I'm going to put the series art for us up on the screen again. You remember that? Four. For the Verde Valley, too many believers are known for what they're against instead of being for. We're against. We're against this and against this, and, and we're viewed as adversaries to people. And we need to shift this and be viewed as people who are for people, that we love people, even the people who are far from God. And so after that series, I began to include in my faith affirmation statements to keep me centered. Um, I have prayed this, I don't know how many hundreds of times, stated this how many hundreds of times to try to imprint a new way of thinking inside of my psyche. I'm going to put it right before you. Here it is on the screen. I am for people because God gave himself for me. I am for people, even people who are far from God or people who are against me. And until I have that embedded deep inside of me, I'm not quite like Christ, am I? Because Christ is for all of us, and all of us were at enmity with him. And he took our sin into himself, even while we were at odds with God, and actually in rebellion and didn't want to have anything to do with his way of life. He loved us so much, wooing us to the place where we bow in worship and say, thank you for giving yourself up for me. We need to give ourselves up and consider others so worth our love that we're for them even when they're against us. That's Jesus' heart. That's who we need to be. That our best defense is a good offense. When the devil tempts you the next time, instead of trying to resist and fight him and just try harder, hey, let's go back to center and worship God. The devil hates that. Just start worshiping God, how big God is. Put your eyes and heart and focus on God and how wonderful he is. I just realized that the timer about how long I'm preaching is all off and I might never stop. Uh... I don't know what that means up there. So I'm going to keep going. Let's keep moving into 2 Corinthians 5. Start picking up at verse 18. All this, well, before I read it, um, this is, I'm about to read God's plan for your life. Okay? It's his plan for all of us. I want you to look for God's plan for you, what he wants for you. I want you to look for this as I read it, okay? It's real clear. It's not what you think, but it's real clear. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I think maybe it's an oversimplification, but he is describing that the good news and sharing the good news about Jesus is our best defense. It is our offense. It is Jesus' strategy for changing the world, taking our world, which is under the hostile domination of the rebel spiritual kingdom enveloping the whole world in sin, death, and darkness, and the prince and the power of that realm is Satan and all his demons. Now, I believe this because it's Jesus' worldview. Just remember that. If you don't believe it, take it up with Jesus. I believe Jesus' worldview is correct, okay? And how Jesus decides to do war against that rebel kingdom is not the way we do war. He begins to love the subjects on the opposing team. He begins to love them to the point of death. And he loves them so much that one by one he rescues people out of captivity to the power of darkness. And with every rescued person under darkness, they change from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Instead of stealing, killing, and destroying, which is the enemy efforts in war... He's giving them life and life to the full and setting them free by the truth of the gospel. That God loves you so much, he will forgive you. How? By sending his own son to die for you. Absorbing your sins. And taking them away so that you could die to your old self and be released from that rebellion and enter into the kingdom of light and filled with his spirit and power. And I did shout too much yesterday. (laughs) The best defense is a good offense. Welcome to the movement that changes the world. I want to finish today by simply saying there could be somebody in this room that has not yet been reconciled to Jesus. There could be somebody in this room that has in the past, but they're out of reconciliation. They're at odds with Jesus again. Something has come between you and Jesus. And so I want to read out of the New Living Translation uh, from this passage, one verse that we skipped and one verse that we've already read. I want to start with one verse we've already read, but in this translation, 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Do you recognize that mature love, even in relationships, like romantic relationships, mature love always moves you away from self-centered thinking about that relationship and what that person has for you. It moves away from self-centeredness to doing what's best for the other. That's mature love. Everything else is immature and perhaps sinful, self-centered, 
lustful, pleasure-centered, whatever. I'm in it for me. But once real love is there, it matures to be about others. Well, in this case, about Christ, who has us following him in a mission, helping him save people he loves, who happen to be far, far away from him. Verse 17, we haven't yet read today. Here it is. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You can this day step out of whatever darkness, whatever discouragement, whatever anxiety, whatever swirling place you're in because something has come between you and God and you can lay that out in honesty and have that be removed and feel that he's got this. He's got me. He loves me. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth. We confess freely that we often veer back towards self-centeredness or self-focus or pride or a wrong filter of some kind that gets between us and you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We give ourselves to you. We want to serve you. We are sinners. Thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a prayer team to the left of the stage. If you'd like to pray about anything, they'd be happy to pray for you. Love to see you next week as we start a new series. I know what it is, and I'm not telling you.